Welcome to Leadership Lowdown. This is the Michigan Business Network, and I'm Vic Versero. So glad you could join us today. And I'm privileged to have with us a gentleman that I've known for an awful long time, have always admired and respected from afar, but he's had some new changes in his life, and I thought it would be good to catch up with him and see how we're doing. His name is Dr. John Scutt, and so, John, welcome to our show. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be on here, Vic. Yeah, well, I'm glad you took time to be with us. You're a busy man, especially with some of your new duties. Tell us the new title that you just accepted. just recently started working for the Michigan Association of Fairs and Expositions as Executive Director. We're very fortunate to have, hopefully, a smooth transition coming up as Lisa Reif is transitioning to a, expanding their family business. So I will be... Uh, Working for the association, representing the Michigan Fairs and Festivals. We have a couple of different things that we have going on. The week of January 12th, we have the annual fair convention, and that is held in Grand Rapids at the Amway. We also, throughout the year, promote festivals and fairs. That kind of the key focus is youth and community when you start getting into those activities. Yeah, well, we're going to want to get into some deep issues on that and try to really figure out all of the good things that happen, especially with all the fairs and festivals around the state. But before we get too far down that road, how did you get here? I mean, if you think about it, you and I met all those years ago back when you and I were young pups in the Future Farmers of America, the FFA. So tell me, you've had a quite a few years of service in that whole arena. Tell us about your early years, where you grew up, and then what you did after college. Yes, I grew up in Allegan County in a little borough, if you will, called Monterey Center. I have two younger brothers and we grew up showing horses and raising cattle and sheep and goats and we're very involved in the Hopkins FFA. Graduated from Hopkins and went to Michigan State University. Also at that time, my freshman year served as the state president of the Michigan FFA Association and completed my undergraduate in agricultural education. I had the opportunity to work for over 25 years in Montague, Lowell, and Caledonia as the agriculture teacher and FFA advisor. Sorry to cut you off there, but I have to tell you, those are three fantastic FFA chapters over the years. They are award-winning organizations that have really helped shape young men and young women into great leaders through all the years. So people that don't know and understand what those FFA chapters are all about, you just named off probably three of the top ones in the state for years. And so you were part of that. Tell me, as an FFA advisor, it's one part agriculture education in the classroom. So you're basically a science teacher, but the whole FFA thing is a whole nother category because that goes beyond. It's extra stuff beyond just the classroom. Tell us a little bit about FFA in your words. Sure. FFA, it's a student organization for those students that are in the agriculture program. Biggest thing that it does for youth is it develops leadership and also develops their personal growth. There's a number of different activities. Kids can get involved in their local chapter. They can serve as chapter officers. They can serve on committees. They can compete in leadership events such as public speaking and parliamentary procedure. They can also compete in skills contests ranging from management to marketing to animal and plant systems to natural resources. So a lot of great opportunities for youth to kind of discover a path the yeah. future. Yeah. What I think is funny, John, is the path for the future is really what it's all about. I find that some of the ways that the FFA organization prepares people for future job opportunities, future leadership roles, just the overall thing about how to act in business and everything else. And I think you'll find this funny that you talked about parliamentary procedure, which is really what's the format for running a meeting? How do you make motions? How do you move a meeting along? And uh, I'll never forget, I was on a hospital board one time, and the chairman 
was there and we had another guy that was a board member with me. He was a former FFA dude as well. And we started making motions because it's the only way we knew how to run a meeting. And the chairman got really upset at us. You could tell his demeanor changed. After the meeting, he pulled us in the hall and he said, I don't know what you two are trying to pull, but being all that fancy stuff. I said, fancy stuff? What are you talking about? We're a couple of FFA boys just trying to help you run a meeting here. So it's just so cool that you help young people develop and get along the way. When we have a chance to get back here and really we're going to have to take a break here in a second, but when we come back, I want to make sure you and I spend some time talking about some of the great experiences you've had in the FFA and how some of that has led and prepared you to take on what I think is an awfully important role here with the Michigan Association of Fairs and Festivals. Do you happen to know how many dollars and cents Michigan fairs and festivals are worth to the state? It's got to be millions and millions. Absolutely. Estimates, about four and a half million people attend fairs and expositions and festivals annually. And if you start looking at, you know, just local impact on the economy, if if they buy gas, if they park, if they buy food, even if they spend $10 on a food item, each person that goes in, by the time you collect your sales tax and your gross revenue, you know, you're looking at quite a bit of dollars as it's generated throughout the state. Well, it's an incredible... And, it, and that's all going back to local communities. Yeah, well. and it's an incredible thing that the values of these two communities, organizations, and then there's a whole element of making a community nicer because these things go on there. It's a part of life for some of these small communities and such a great thing. And they've got a great man in the form of John Scott, who is part of this whole operation now. We're so glad to have you here joining us, John. We're so glad you tuned in to Leadership Lowdown. This is the Michigan Business Network. I'm Vic Versero. We'll be right back. Sinair has been advancing communities and providing opportunities for people in Michigan for more than 25 years. Through lending, investments, and the creation of homes and jobs, Sinair has made a combined $7 billion impact on the communities they serve. Learn more at www.sinair.com. This is the Michigan Business Network. I'm Vic Versero right here on the Leadership Lowdown. And right here on this show, we've got Dr. John Scott, who is a part of the Michigan Association of Fairs and Expositions. And you know, John, I just can't let this FFA thing go because it's been such a big part of your life and your experience. So tell me, you've touched a lot of young people's lives and done some great things in leadership and such. Any special memories, maybe great triumphs or maybe terrible mishaps you want to share? Absolutely. I have been involved in FFA as a member, as a state officer in the Michigan Association, been involved at the national level, had the opportunity to serve in three different communities as a teacher, and also volunteer as an alumni member. I would say the biggest thing that FFA does is it helps kids and it helps youth find a mission and focus in life. Every kid that walks through the door, I don't care if they're valedictorian, 
or need some help to graduate. Every kid has the opportunity to get involved. I'm going to go back to my starting years. Yeah. I remember as a chapter, every Christmas, we had a partnership with a local health and beauty care company. We would put baskets together for elderly in the community that were at a social or an economic disadvantage. Yeah. And we'd go around and carol, and I'll tell you what, <laughs> those of us who were singing, probably the folks wanted to get us out the door after we visited each <laughs> home or each apartment, because we were not the best singers. No, but no. The best thing about that whole thing was, you know, we had the chance to get out and serve those that needed some help in our communities. You know, it's being involved at state level, had a great time traveling throughout the state of Michigan. Through that year of service, had the chance to visit about 50 different schools, all the way in the western UP to the metro area of Detroit. A lot of cool, neat people all around our state involved in that organization. Then you get to those years where I was serving as a teacher. I have met and I've had the privilege to teach and advise a lot of different kinds of students. And, you know, some kids, they do a lot of challenges that we are not aware of all the time. And that's one thing I learned is that those kiddos, they bring something to the table. Every kid brings something to the table. They have something that they want to get out of the organization, and they definitely have things that they can bring to the group and to grow and develop. And, you know, you take a student. She was very, very well-spoken. She won the state FFA public speaking contest, went on to study. She had the opportunity to interview Mikhail Gorbachev as part of her undergraduate studies, Mm -hmm. and she ended up teaching fifth grade in New York. Uh, Just completely different background, but she's just one of the sweetest souls you'd ever meet. You know, many other students that sometimes other people would give up on, they found a place in FFA. And sometimes Uh, they surprise you, don't they, John? Where the the kids that you go, oh boy, what have I got here, right? Because you don't know. And then all of a sudden, two or three years later, you've got a chapter president or somebody that just completely blew away, right? Yes. And, uh, you know, Some of those students that I'm talking about, they've gotten involved in the trades and they were good managers because they knew how to deal with people and they are doing very well for themselves, raising great families. And the coolest thing I like to do is kind of follow where these students go on Facebook and see all the cool things that they're doing (laughs) in life, watching their kids. And I'm also a grandfather. If I have the opportunity, I'm going to go buy their kids, you know, the good things like some MMs and Mountain Dew to go home and... (laughs) wreak havoc with their parents. So. <laughs> Send them home with a little sugar. I love it. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> That's brilliant and payback. I just love that. Well, you know, honestly, as you think about it, John, some of the things that happen along the way, I just think about a lot of us have had teachers and mentors in our life that have really meant an awful lot to us. So I think about that. I've done this a few times. I've written letters to teachers and to mentors that have meant a lot to me. And I think that letter that I sent them was kind of a moment where they could recount and go, maybe it was all worthwhile. Have you gotten some of those letters yourself? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, letters and communications and now we're into the social media age. I truly enjoy keeping up with those folks. I have a number of former students who served in the military. Oh, yeah. You know, watching those young men and women go and serve our country and then come back stateside and still continue on in their service to the community. That's just really cool, in my opinion. Well, and it really makes a difference, and it's just astounding. So we get into that, and probably when we get back from break, we want to talk about the mentors in your life and people that have made a difference. But, you know, for those that aren't involved in the FFA, there's so many times we get involved with organizations or things or people that have had a chance to impact our lives, and it's so exciting to have opportunity when you deal, especially with young people. And, of course, the FFA 
Did you run some programs that reached back into the junior high schools, or was it just high school? We also did junior high. Lowell and Caledonia, we had junior high programs going. You know, those are great opportunities because junior high is a very interesting time in kids. They're not kids. They're not adults. They're kind of in that between stage. Betweeners, yeah. And it gives them an opportunity. And I'll tell you what, if you have a room full of middle schoolers, they will have more energy Tesla could ever think of. <laughs> well, maybe we got to figure a way to bottle that up. I don't know. But, hey, I'm glad we're bottling you up today, John. I'm so glad you are with us today. I'm glad you tuned into the Leadership Lowdown and glad you're listening to the Michigan Business Network. I'm Vic Versero. We'll be right back after these messages. Place keeps changing, and successful companies recognize and embrace change through choice, adaptability, and innovation. DBI offers affordable furniture solutions for countless workspace options that will enhance the performance of your people and organization. DBI helps customers reach their workplace goals from improving worker effectiveness and innovation to brand expression. DBI is your office furniture partner. Learn more at dbiguess.com. Welcome back to Leadership Lowdown right here on the Michigan Business Network. I'm Vic Versero with the amazing Dr. John Scott, who's with us today. And he's the executive director of the Michigan Association of Fairs and Expositions. And, of course, one of the things that I think is exciting is his background as a leader in FFA. But all leaders, in my opinion, I have a belief that nobody does it alone. And I asked John off the air if he had anybody that he could identify as his mentor and he offered a name up that I have great respect for, so I'll let you say the name on air because I know and love, and he's a great guy. Absolutely. Growing up in high school, we had an alumni member, Comer Skinner, who was very instrumental in helping a number of different youth, and uh, Comer is a great, great mentor in high school. As we progress through the years, you know, there's a lot of different activities and events that we had the chance to travel to together. You know, kind of going through college and professional I have, you know, at college, Dr. Randy Showerman was a great oh, sure. influence, yeah. helped a lot of people become teachers. And then once again, to my professional career, I had a great opportunity to student teach and then later come back to Caledonia with Al Stevie, who was <laughs> taught at Caledonia for 30 years. So I always kind of give him a rough time because he started teaching the year I was born. But, you know, he's been a lifelong friend and had a lot of good advice over the years. And a couple other folks, Jim Glacier is a great principal that I had, very straightforward and honest with you as an administrator, but also as a leader in the school. And I would be, I'd miss, I have a great wife, Kara, mm-hmm. that kind of keeps me in line all the days that we've been together. And I've had very good parents and family that have been good support people 
as we go through that whole process. So well, let me I've ask been very you, blessed. You certainly are, and it shows up in the way you live your life and conduct yourself, John, honestly. But let me ask you, and I don't want to put you on the spot here, but as I think about all the names you just mentioned, some of them I've known and are what I would consider legends in the FFA world. But tell me, are there any common threads that as you think about these mentors and every one of them that were important in your life, were there any common threads that they all seem to have in ways that they've invested into you? Absolutely. The first thing I would say is they're all very sincere in what they do. Every action they take, every word they say is very deliberate, and it's a reflection of who they are as a person. The second thread I would say is that they are very giving, and they will put others before themselves. And that's, if you look at what they do for people and the decisions that they make, they're very, very giving up themselves. The third thing that that I see in these people is that they have a great deal of gratitude and love for what Mm. they have in life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it may seem very simple, but in this day and age, you know, we see gratitude, we don't see gratitude, but we have a lot of things in life to be thankful for. That's one thing I see. Let's talk about that just for a second, because I think you're onto something that's interesting to me. Somebody once said it was an attitude of gratitude, and so this is kind of a silly story. I've been blessed in many ways in my life, and I've made more money than I've ever dreamed I would growing up in the little town of Gregory, Michigan. But part of what I always thought was the importance of never lose track of the value of a dollar. And so I have this ridiculous scenario where if I see a penny lying on the ground, I will stop in the middle of the road, risking life and limb (laughs) to pick that penny up. And, you know, I can't even believe I want to say this on radio, but one time I was at Tiger Stadium when it was Tiger Stadium, and I was in the men's restroom, and there was one on the floor. And now there is a moment of truth right there. How much do you value money and trying to remember the value of a dollar? <laughs> so I actually did actually pick it up, took it to the sink and washed my hands and the penny at the same time and stuck it in my pocket. But I want you to know part of what that is, is trying to remember and having an attitude of gratitude when something good happens, surround yourself with all of it. And when something bad happens, I always try to think to myself, well, that could have been worse. So tell me, I think those people that have that attitude, did they kind of help you learn that yourself, or is that something you felt you were born with? I have learned that from many other people, family and friends that have exhibited, you know, gratitude. I've tried to learn to become very thankful for what I have. You know, I'm not a millionaire, but it's one of those deals where what we have and what we've been blessed with and the memories that our family has and those activities that we do. I'll give you an example. I have two daughters. And uh, I have a 26-year-old and I have an 11-year-old. So I've had the opportunity to have single children twice, if you will. And uh, we show lifestyle. And that's one of those things we kind of put our resources and time into showing sheep and cattle. And this has taken us across the country. We've shown in Arizona, in Denver, Kansas City, Louisville, in the Midwest. And that's one of those things I'm very thankful for, the opportunity to take our kids and spend time working with the livestock and traveling with them. Also have two grandkids and there's a small kind of a miniature breed of sheep called Baby Dallas Southdowns. So our grandson, I had the opportunity to buy him one and he's just had a ball just showing <laughs> that little sheep and giving the judges knucks and, and having fun in the ring <laughs> Love and it. getting all the fun little things that they give away for prizes for little kids. So, Heck yeah. Um, well, you know, I'm very thankful for that. And, and that's and, the whole point. There are a lot of things to be thankful for, aren't there? 
Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, hey, I'm thankful you're with us today, John. Thankful to hear your story. And it sounds to me like we've got a lot to unpack here with the Michigan Association of Fairs and Expositions. And so I just want to say thanks for being with us. Thanks for tuning in to the Michigan Business Network. This is Vic Versero here on the Leadership Lowdown. The attorneys of Foster Swift, Collins & Smith offer legal counsel to businesses, families, individuals, and municipalities throughout Michigan with offices in Lansing, Farmington Hills, Grand Rapids, Detroit, Marquette, and Holland. Clients know they can count on Foster Swift for all their legal needs, from straightforward wills to sophisticated business transactions and complex litigation. Learn more about Foster Swift and how they can assist you at fosterswift.com. Welcome back to Leadership Lowdown right here on the Michigan Business Network. I'm Vic Versero with John Scott. He is the Executive Director of the Michigan Association of Fairs and Expositions. And of course, when we talk about John's background, how he came to that position, John, you just got done mentioning that you and your family have shown livestock, which for those that aren't real big fair people, livestock and those kind of farm elements are pretty big for fairs here in Michigan, true? Yes, it is. There's 86 county and local fairs throughout the state, and those fairs have the youth livestock and open livestock component. When I say that, some of the classes are and shows are designed for youth, 21 years and under. And then there's also open livestock, which would involve breeders that raise cattle, they raise sheep, they raise horses, and they exhibit those at those local and county fairs. So tell me a little bit about it. The only livestock I ever did any showing of was at the Michigan Junior Livestock Show, and we took kind of a couple hogs up there and did pretty well for being a novice without knowing what I was doing. But honestly, why would a family farm find it important to go to a fair and to do that kind of work? I mean, you're there all week. You got to be there to feed your animals. You got to probably some of them move their campers in and stay right there on property. Tell me about the thinking behind what motivates a farm family to want to do that. Absolutely. And it'll be farm families and it'll be families that may not have, you know, a full blown farm operation, but also families that might raise a steer, they might raise some sheep or some pigs. A couple of things, I'd say the first thing that it does is it gives youth a very worthwhile project, if you will, during those summer months. There's a lot of different activities that compete for kids. You got sports, you got different clubs and organizations, you got family travel. But the thing that livestock projects do for youth is it gives them a worthwhile project that they can be responsible for and also develop that responsibility and to care for something and to see a project through to the end. The second thing is that many of these youth will raise livestock and if they sell them, if they're an animal that's more oriented for food production, like a steer or a pig, they will sell those and many of those families will raise that money and use that for money for education. The third thing that these projects do 
is give those youth an opportunity to compete. And this is my personal opinion. It does not maybe reflect the opinion of the association, but personally, the best thing that we have in America is competition. Competition will teach people what they've done right and also things that they can improve upon. We get into that participation trophy <laughs> yeah. mentality a little bit too much. Right. And being involved is important, but also getting better at what you do is in my opinion, just as important. Anytime that you go out and you do well, that's a lesson. And if you go out and you don't do well, that's a lesson as well in regards to what can you do better to improve upon that project. So, Well, John, um, you brought this full circle for me. I think I had one of those uh-huh moments, which is kind of just straight in my face. But honestly, you know, even if it's your child getting a puppy or right. getting a pet of some sort to take care of some other creature and to do it in a manner that's important. I mean, that in itself is teaching some very impressive lessons for somebody to have and to somebody to move forward. So I love what just happened there because that's part of the whole beauty of these fairs and festivals. And when you think about fairs, it's not just livestock because kids can enter other levels of competitions at fairs. Isn't that true? Absolutely. Like what would something else be? Yeah, I'm going to take our local fair that my daughter's involved with, Kent County Youth Fair. There's also what the fair calls still exhibits, might be crafts, might be insect collections, looking at new projects like robotics. When you start looking at sewing and woodworking, you know, those are just some projects that they can get involved with. Also, public speaking and demonstrations. In addition to that, there's, you know, just kind of fun folk type art. They have bale twine competitions and singing and performing arts. So there's something for everybody there. One of the cool things, we just started in the past year or two, we had the performing arts kids try out an audition to sing the national anthem before each and every livestock show. How cool. So that's very, very cool, very patriotic to have those youth come out and start each livestock show off with singing the national anthem. That's great. You know, so when we start looking at our American values and pride in our community. You know, there's some examples right there. Well, and you know, it's funny because we watch television and Hollywood's take on what the fair looks like. But isn't it interesting that you can go back in time a little bit and see some time-honored skills that are still being on display at fairs? And I'm not sure if you mentioned it or not, but look at the baking competitions for the fair. I want to be a judge. Just so when you get into your new position, (laughs) make sure you get Vic Versero on the list because I'm sure I'd be a great baker judge. I agree. And one of the coolest, we had a student, they did a historical project. They're researching Egyptian mummies. Oh, wow. They went through the process, and this is one of their entries. They mummified a chicken. And that was the most interesting project that I had the opportunity to interview the youth and the whole process. And it seems a little bit different, but when you start looking at history and respecting cultures, I learned a lot from that young person. Well, you know, and that's interesting. Young people can teach us as well as we can teach them. And you're teaching us a lot today, John. We're glad you're here on the Michigan Business Network. This is the Leadership Lowdown. I'm Vic Vercherio. We're going to go pay some bills and come right back.
for something to grow, it takes time. Like the equity in your home. That's why LaughQ offers a home equity line of credit. Because frequent watering of your houseplants may be recommended. Now can we get a new roof? Not so much the rest of the house. Want the best rates for a home equity line of credit? Ask for LaughQ. Stop in today or go to LaughQ.com slash home equity. LaughQ, your credit union for life. Thanks for tuning in to the Michigan Business Network, and thanks for listening to the Leadership Lowdown right here with Dr. John Scott, who is the Executive Director of the Michigan Association of Fair and Expos. And I want to make sure that as we talk about this whole opportunity, we don't spend all our time talking about some of the great FFA memories we have, but we get into some of the great opportunities that the fairs and expos have around the state. You mentioned early on in the interview, John, the number of fairs and expos. Can you give me that number again that we have in Michigan? Absolutely. We have 86 local and county fairs and also... A number of different festivals that are throughout the state. In addition, that association has 130 associate members. And these are members from the carnival industry, food concessions, grandstand entertainment, trophies, insurance companies. You know, so a number of different players that make fairs happen. Well, it's really interesting to see how that all comes about. You know, I grew up and graduated from a little town called Chelsea. And in Chelsea, they had a Chelsea community fair. And I think it was one of the larger community fairs. And then there's things like Ionia County Free Fair, which is a pretty good size entity. And then, of course, we had down the road the State Fair or the Jackson Fair. All of those have a little bit different set of governing boards. But in your world, all these fair boards, are they appointed or elected locally? Most of the fairs fall under what we call Act 80. They are Act 80 provided for agricultural societies and their focus would be to host an annual fair and those fairs would promote agriculture they'd promote tourism they'd promote industry in their local communities there's a handful of fairs that are organized under county governments and it kind of varies some of those are appointed and some of those are elected but most of the fair boards are their own private independent entities and they have membership and then they also elect boards to serve the association throughout the year. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because if you think about a county fair, and I'm just using my own experience, some of these have very nice fairgrounds, but also have buildings. And is it fair to say that those buildings, many occasions, set there pretty much empty throughout the year till the fair comes around, or is that changing? That is changing. Many of these community fairgrounds or county fairgrounds, they do serve as a community hub. I'll take Midland, for example. Oakland County, they host antique festivals. You might have livestock horse shows. You might have RV shows. A number of county fairs serve as a center of emergency management situations. So Mm. if you need large facilities that can handle a lot of people, they're an integral part of their county safety programs and goals. Start looking at year-round stuff. Yeah, I think that's what's exciting. I think about up in Sanilac County, out in the Thumb, and a friend of mine helped bring about a Gordie Howe skating arena. And it was done inside, I think, the livestock arena for the county fairgrounds. And that was controversial because, you know, all these farmers, had helped build, you know, those fairgrounds and that livestock arena. And now we're going to do what? But it became a multi-purpose arena for around the year. And so it was really kind of exciting. In the summer, there was the county fair going on. And the rest of the time of the year, they had actually found some amazing skate 
space up there. And Gordy Howe personally was involved. His family was personally involved in making that happen. So it's interesting when you have great thinkers and people that think maybe a little outside the box. But now I wanted to ask you about fares. When we think about fares, you said that they have a Charter 180. I'm not sure exactly if I got that right. Is there anything that specifically makes them a fair that they have to do X, Y, and Z in order to be called a fair? Absolutely. Yeah, Act 80 was passed in the 1800s, and agricultural societies, that they had a couple of responsibilities. And that first and primary responsibility would be to hold an annual fair. It also asked that those societies elect boards that would take care of the finances and the day-to-day operations of the fairs. And then when you start looking at partnerships that these fairs have, many of these fairs work with MSU Extension. They work with local agriculture programs. They also work with the Michigan Department of Agriculture and Rural Development in you know, animal exhibition requirements and following uh, the guidelines that the Department of Ag and Rural Development puts forward. The other thing is, going back to the finances, is to make sure that they keep their facilities working and in good order. And that's one of the things that uh, our state legislature has been very good at providing grants that are dollar for dollar matching grants, different fairs to improve their facilities. And then there are some fairs that are building and remodeling, and they've partnered with their community donors to make that happen as well. So tell me, uh, before we go to break here, about expos. Tell me, an expo would not be under that same charter? Those expos and festivals, they are members or they can be members of the organization and if you take Swartz Creek for example they have a festival as you go you know festivals may have a different focus they may or may not have the agriculture focus but definitely they do promote local tourism and involvement in that local community yeah well hey this is so fascinating to me I just think all of us are enriched by the leadership of the association to actually build strong county activities like a fair or expo and the economic impact across the state is just fantastic. And it's fantastic you took time to be with us today, John. We've got one quick segment left, and I'm so glad you're here. So glad you tuned in to the Michigan Business Network. We'll be right back. Physicians Health Plan is local. For 35 years, we've been a part of your community, and we take pride in helping you get the coverage, care, and personal service you deserve. Go to phpmichigan.com for more information. We're the health plan that works for you. Welcome back to our final segment right here on the Michigan Business Network. This is the Leadership Lowdown, and I'm privileged and honored to have Dr. John Scott with us, Executive Director of the Michigan Association of Fairs and Expositions, Expos. And I have to tell you that, John, one of the things that is exciting for me is you're taking on this new role. I know you were handed an organization in great shape by a great leader. But there's got to be challenges that you look at and go, man, I think this is an area that's going to cause us some concerns or that we need to have everybody rally behind. Anything like that come to mind? 
Absolutely. And Vic, you're right. Lisa Reif, she's moving on and they're expanding their family business in the seed corn and agronomy area. But when you start looking at issues, one of the things that I think I can say this with a fair amount of certainty, since COVID, people look at life differently. And the choices that they make and the activities that they choose to participate in, that is very much an individual choice. One of the challenges that this change in the paradigm, one thing we notice is that volunteerism has decreased. And when you start looking at why people may not get involved, some of it's, you know, based on health and health decisions. We had a period of time that people were kind of living independently, if you will, and kind of watching for their own safety. And that's an individual choice. But one thing I would look at is what can we do to engage people and get people more involved in fairs and festivals and expositions or, you know, just in general, their community. That's one of the challenges. Try to create opportunities for those people to feel comfortable and also give them the opportunity to give back. You know, a lot of people say time is the most precious commodity out there. And giving up your time to a worthwhile service is one of the greatest gifts that people can have. Amen. John, I think it's so important. When you talk about volunteerism, something I've always said is that volunteers don't. And what I mean is that I don't think a lot of people just organically step up and volunteer. Now, some do, certainly, and they're cherished gems when they do that. But so many times they have to be asked. And then the other thing is they have to be given the confidence that they can do it. And also the idea of what the job is, so they have an idea of what they're actually volunteering for. And so you've got an interesting element right here in terms of stepping up and doing some of that, because that can be a big difference in terms of getting the right people engaged and having them feel like they're doing something good. Absolutely. And when you start looking at community events, you know, I'll take a fair specifically, there's opportunities for people to work with youth. There's opportunities for people to help with livestock, to help put on the activities, whether it's clerking or running the computer. Many times, a lot of the new technology that's coming out, our youth know how to run that technology way better than adults. And, uh, you know, opportunities are endless. Yeah. What a difference it makes. Well, and tell me, will you be reporting to a board of directors on this association? Yes, our association has a board of directors, and they represent all parts of the state. It also represents the entertainment and carnival industries, and also the festival and exposition. Wow, so it's quite broad, isn't it? It is. And it really has to be a partnership, too, because you just mentioned something that we haven't really talked about, is that the whole carnival side of the fair is, in my opinion, brings an awful lot of people in. And so that is a chance for agriculture to tell its story a little bit while everybody's coming in for the rides and the elephant ears. But tell me, has that been challenged too with some of the recent economic situations? Absolutely. One of the challenges that carnivals face is just availability, just like many other businesses, availability of workers and staff. And many carnivals We'll utilize the H2B program, and as we move through you know, that whole process, finding staff that can make those events come together and be put on and the equipment moved and transported around, those are all issues that every carnival faces, and also when they have issues, it impacts local fares. Yeah. Our own local fare, you know, we had to delay the carnival a day because of transportation issues. <laughs> you know, The trucks were not available on Sunday, so they had to start coming in on a Monday. Yeah, well, and and $5 diesel running these trucks around the country is a big deal, too. So, well, we're almost out of time here, John. Let me ask you, if anybody wants to know more about their local fair, more about your organization, I'm assuming you guys got a website we can direct them to. If they probably do a search to the Michigan Association of Fairs and Expos, they ought to be able to find you, I would assume. 
Yes, the website is mifairs.com, and that will take you to the main page. And then on that main page, once the 23 schedules are finalized, that will take you to those individual links. And usually each community fair or county fair festival has their own website as well. Yeah. So, you know, they're all over the state of Michigan. So when it's come time, it's a very economic, family-focused events. And you can find them in all parts of the state of Michigan. And the nice thing is when you're supporting a local event like that, you're supporting local communities, you're supporting local businesses. And that's the neat thing about it is those dollars stay. And those fairs that maybe have a youth livestock auction, those dollars are invested in our youth, yes. in our own communities. Yeah. Well, look, you're a tremendous catch for the association to have you as their executive director spot, John, with your dedication and service in terms of helping kids for all these years. Now you're helping a much broader segment. That's why when I found out about your new position, I wanted to make sure we had you on Leadership Lowdown. John, well, thanks thank you. for your time and all the best in what you're about to take on. Thank you very much. Yeah. It's an honor. Yeah, I think it would be, but they're the lucky ones. So again, John Scott, Executive Director of Michigan Association of Affairs and Expo, you just made our day. Thanks for being a part of the Leadership Lowdown. Thanks for tuning in to the Michigan Business Network. I'm Vic Bershiro. Can't wait to talk to you next time.